So hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be again in the book of 1 John, which we started a series a few weeks ago in, and we've started in, got through the first chapter, we're in the second chapter, and the title of this, of this series is Authentic Living Fully Integrated Lives. And so we've been walking through kind of understanding authenticity, but let me just take a break from it. Was that not like the funnest thing? Was that awesome? I know like this much Spanish, but I don't care. I was just trying to butcher the words as best as I could. So I think it's just, it's so, it's, it's exciting to be in a context where you realize that the body of Christ is far more diverse than we even know and, and, and far reaching. And so it's wonderful. In fact, if you want to drop in any Sunday night, I know that the, the, the Spanish church would love to, to welcome us in. So, and just like they sit in the English service and, and get, pick up this much, sit in a Spanish service and see what it feels like to be the minority of what they live in. But it's a great experience, great partnership. So, but this morning, we, as we walk through this journey with, with, in the book of 1 John, we're talking about, again, this, this reality of what John was talking about thousands of years ago is true for us today, where we have a tendency to gravitate, gravitate towards living in compartments. So we have certain kind of ways that we act and we speak and we think in certain contexts, and that changes according to the compartment of our life that we're in. But the more that you know Jesus and the more that you follow him, you realize he starts to bring all of our worlds and compartments together so that we're truly authentic, which means what's on the inside makes its way to the surface and reflects uh, itself on the outside. So there's this disconnect. So we've been walking through that, and this morning we're going to talk about authentically knowing God. Because in in this particular passage, in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, John highlights some things that are indicators that you truly know God. Now, when we look at the passage today, you might be surprised at the way that it's structured and and what's said there, because we could come up with a a list of, this is what it really means to know God, and we might miss what's really going on in the passage, so we want to walk through that together. And I think part of the challenge is, when when I think of our understanding of God, actually knowing God, that this isn't like true of everybody, but I think there are two general categories when it comes to us knowing God. There's the, the one category where we would say, yeah, I know God, but, but what we're really saying is we're more of like a fan of God. Like we have an admiration for him, an appreciation for him, and we like him, but, but there's some disconnect when it comes to the personal connection with him. Or the other group, which we would really say, you know, I'm a friend of God, which means not only do I know God, but I know that he knows me, and there's this personal connection I have with him. And so we have those two general categories. Maybe we can put it in this kind of this context. So about a couple months ago, we went to a recording of the, the show The Voice. I was in the live uh, section of the, at the end of kind of the season, and uh, it was kind of a huge thing for me because when we're waiting with hundreds of people to get into this theater to, to watch The Voice, they announced that Coldplay is going to be recording their new song, like, live for The Voice. I'm like, are you kidding me? I can die and go to heaven happy now. This is like, I love Coldplay. And so we get in there, and we're all packed, and there's like a thousand people in this theater. And, and, uh, and so Coldplay comes out on the stage, and everybody just erupts. And, and, of course, all the girls are yelling Chris Martin's name, you know, like, oh, Chris, you know, like they're his personal friend or something. And so they're like, they're all excited, and there's this frenzy, and they do their song. And then when they finish, they're all heading off, off stage, and everyone's screaming. You can just like this, this kind of frenzy. We were sitting in the stands up behind the stage and up at the top row, and so when they leave to go backstage, they go around the back of those stands, and literally, as I turned and looked over, Chris Martin's like 10 feet down. I could spit right on his head if I wanted to. And everyone's like yelling, Chris, Chris, like to look. And you kind of give like, you know, that nod, like whatever, you don't have time for you. And, and so when we were watching this happen, why, why is his response like, yeah, whatever? Because everybody in that theater thought that they knew Chris Martin because they know Coldplay and they like his music and they admire him and they, they love his artistry. But pretty much 99.9% of the people in that theater, Chris Martin didn't even know who they were. 
And so there's this disconnect where everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I know Chris Martin. No, you don't, because Chris Martin doesn't know you. So all you are is you're not a friend of Chris, you're a fan. That's all that you are. And I think sometimes we don't realize that when it comes to knowing God, that we become a fan. We, at a distance, we admire. And the reason we know that's true is because Jesus actually says that some will stand before him someday and they'll say, Lord, Lord, and they'll list all the things they did and all the, the checks that they, the, the check boxes that they check to say, hey, I'm a good person. I'm in, I'm a Christian. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me because I never knew you. You might have known me, but I didn't know you. Now, God knows us because he created us, but there wasn't that personal connection, that personal relationship. And so this morning, we want to talk about that, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 6 of 1 John chapter 2. So let me read those, and then we'll walk through those together. So John writes in verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the, lo- the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. Talking of Jesus. So I just want to take a few minutes to ask five questions that come out of the passage that ask for you and I to, to really dig deep and say, do I authentically know God? Do I know God the way that John is saying I should know God? So, so we're going to just walk through this. The first question to ask of ourselves this morning is in verse 3. And that is, am I committed to obeying his commands? John says, and, it, and by this we know that we have come to know him if what? If we keep his commands. Now, automatically right now, there's majority of us in the room have defaulted to. My interaction, my knowledge of God is simply if I do what he says and I have to live a religious life to be perfect, do what he says, otherwise I'm not in relationship with him. That's not what is being said here. And the reason we know that is because as we go through this, this connection we have with God is not built on our performance. It's not built on a checklist. It's not built on relation, uh, religion. It's built on relationship. And that means there is a difference between obedience and compliance. We get the two confused. Obedience comes not as a result of somebody forcing you to do something. Obedience comes out of relationship because you want to do it, because you desire it. Compliance comes when you are forced to do something you don't want to do, but in order to achieve some end or to be accepted, you have to comply with the wishes of whoever is in charge. Think about it. Think about the, the difference, because if, if, if we were to be in a relationship with God or to know God only because we comply, which means I don't really like this, I don't really want to do this, but I have to in order to know God, then that would be complete opposite of what God has set up for us in relationship with him. But many of us live under that, that kind of compliance. Think about it. Sometimes that's the way we raise our kids. We call it obedience, but all we've really called our kids to is compliance, which means you do what I say because I'm the parent, and then what happens to our kids when they get old enough and they leave the house? What do they do? They're no longer compliant, so they just do whatever they want to do. Why? Because they never truly were obedient. They were only compliant to what we asked them to do. Why? Because there was a huge missing piece called relationship. And what John's saying here is if, I, if I'm committed to obeying his commands, I'm doing that because I know him. I know him, and because I know him, I actually want to. I actually desire to do what he wants me to do. Not I have to, but I really, truly want to. Anybody remember the now classic movie called Princess Bride? Anybody remember that? I always show my age when I quote movies, right? 
So in the early part of that movie, you know, the, the farm boy, Wesley, and then you have Princess Buttercup, and they're starting their relationship, and he's running around doing, you know, different errands and different chores on the farm. And every time they have this encounter, she makes a request of him, and he always responds with the same phrase, as you wish. And as the story goes on, you realize that every time he's saying that, he's not just saying, I comply to whatever you want. What he's saying is, I love you. And he was demonstrating his love by the actions he took and doing what she wanted because he had to? No. Because he wanted to, because there was a genuine connection he felt towards her. So anything she asked him to do, he felt this love and this this draw to her that made him actually want to do it. That's what John's talking about. Some of us have never experienced that. Some of us have lived this life of religious and Christian compliance and never realized that God wants us to be obedient out of the deep relationship that we have with him. Then obedience doesn't become a bad thing in Christianity. It doesn't become this drag that we have to obey God. It's like, I get to do what he wants me to do. Why? Because he loves me and I love him. Second thing, in verse four, ask this question. Am I committed to honesty. This is a tough one. John says, but whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What is he saying? Someone says, listen, yeah, I, I got this. I got this. I'm obedient. I, I keep his commands. I, I understand all that. I, I'm doing it. And, and deep down inside, you know that really you're living in compliance, or you're not living up to that. You're not doing it. Because by the way, if you read through the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you realize Jesus is never looking for compliance because he doesn't talk about the outward. He talks about the inward. And even if you do things and you're doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside you're fighting it, you don't want to do it, guess what? It's the motive inside that Jesus looks at. So there's this disconnect sometimes that we can try to present like, hey, I'm really obedient. I'm really doing good. I'm doing a lot of good things. And in our mind, we're checking it off. But deep down inside, we have no desire whatsoever to do that. That's religion. And that kills. It doesn't bring life. But we buy into that, that idea. And then we begin to be dishonest with ourselves. Why? Because we want a certain idea projected for people. Again, it's the disconnect. It's the hypocrisy. It's the compartments that we set up in our life. But if we're truly going to be honest, we, we have to realize, we have to ask the question, is there something deep inside of me that's wanting me to do, drawing me to do this? So, for example, I think one of the things that we have a tendency to do is we think that obedience becomes before knowledge and before love, and it's the opposite. You know God first, you love God, and then you obey God. You don't obey him first. There's no reason to. But knowledge comes first, then love, and then obedience which means if I struggle with obedience, I'm not struggling with compliance. I'm struggling with, do I really know God? Do I really love him? So just, for example, a couple of categories to consider this morning, to, to think through, are these true of me? A couple of the greatest commands that Jesus gives to us and kind of sums some things up. Listen to Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Ask yourself how you're doing in this category. Jesus says, it says, teacher, which the, uh, the, someone asked him the question, is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, or first command. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the law and the prophets. So what is Jesus saying? If you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, you will love your neighbor you will have this ability to be obedient to love people that are really unlovable in your mind. 
right? And when, when Jesus says neighbor, he's not, thinking, he's not using kind of this kind of vague, like, yeah, whoever you really like is your neighbor. Whoever you really feel warm fuzzies for, that's your neighbor. No, he's usually talking about people that you can't stand. You know, the person across the street who turns up their music really loud at late at night, and oh, man, it just drives you crazy. Or the person who takes their personal smoke break out on your front lawn and you have to pick up all their cigarette butts or someone who throws a can in your yard or, or someone who parks in front of your house. Nobody ever has anyone who lives like that around you, right? That person you can't stand, guess who that is? That's your neighbor. That's who God's called you to love. And that's who God, through the compassion he gives to us in relationship, makes it possible for us to express that same kind of love and compassion for people that we struggle with. So here's another one. How about this command? We call it the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, there, go there, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, another word is obey, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end or the end of the age. What is Jesus commanding his people to do? Make disciples. If I love God, and I know he loves me, and I know him, and he knows me, guess what I'm going to want to do? I'm going to want to help other people discover who he is. I'm not going to feel compelled to do that or, or, or compliant to do that. I'm going to be driven to do that. Why? Because I know how good God is. Why is that so important? This is the, the foundation of the church. This is the foundation of our church, is to make disciples. In, in, the, in the three or so years that I've been here, I've had multiple conversations with people, and, and I love the honesty that I've had with people. As, we, as we've been walking through, especially the teachings of Jesus, when we went through that series, I had people, a number of people, come to me and make this confession. I love their honesty. They said, listen, I've known Jesus for years, but I never knew that I was asked and I was responsible to make disciples. I always thought that was somebody else's responsibility. I thought that was somebody else's job. That was the church's job, not my job. Jesus said this to a handful of people and said, listen, go make disciples. If you know me, if you love me, you're going to want to make disciples. And so what, take those two because the challenge is, is that sometimes we're just not honest with ourselves. We want to say, hey, I really want to do this, and I really love to do this, but am I really doing it? No, I'm not, but I want to make it look like I am. Why? Because I want to save face. I want to make sure that people think I'm really good, but deep down inside, Jesus sees right past the, the facade. He sees right past what's going on, and he knows what's really happening. I think I've shared this before, but, but I, I know what it is to not want to fail or to not be able to complete something and do, so, do something in order to make it look like you're trying, but when you're really deep down inside not trying, for example, in sports. Our, our coach loved to abuse us in preseason before basketball because he knew that we were a bunch of slow guys who, who were never going to outrun, outjump, or out, outplay any other team in our league, but we could outlast all of them if we, were, we had enough stamina. So we would do preseason. Before the season would start, we would do training. And he would take us out, and we would run sprints and all kind of stuff. And the brutal part was the sprints because we would run about 225 to 250-yard sprints. And then you'd have a certain amount of time for rest, and you have to do 10 repeats. Well, at the beginning of training, you'd have like, you know, 60 seconds with about 60 seconds rest. But by the time you got to the end of that few months of training, you had to run it in like 45 seconds and you had 20 seconds rest in between. So you get to like eight, nine, and 10 of those sprints and you're dying. I mean, you're dying. I'm like, guys are throwing up. I can't breathe. It's like, really, this is one step away from hell. That's what you feel like. Is this devil, the devil himself is our coach? Really, you're just like, you're feeling it. And I know uh, we were going to the last sprint and I thought to myself, I can't do this. 
I am going to die somewhere out on that field. I'm not going to make it back. But I didn't want to die, and I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to look like an idiot. So inside of me, as I'm running, and I'm running, I had to run down and touch a fence and run all the way back to the other end zone of the, the football field. And I'm running, and as I make the turn, I'm like, aha, I don't have to die. I can just fake an injury. That's what I'll do. So I'm about 75 yards out. I can see my coach. He's at the line. He's got the clock going. And all of a sudden, at like 75-yard line, I'm like, oh, man. And I grab my leg, and I start hobbling. And I'm still trying to run, but I'm hobbling, and I'm grimacing. You know, it hurts so bad. And I'm trying. And all the while, my coach is just watching me. He's watching me come right towards the line. And I get about 25 yards. I can really see his eyes now, and he's just looking right at me. And I'm coming. He's just staring at me, staring, not like, oh, have no compassion in his eyes whatsoever. He's just looking at me. Finally, I cross the line. I look at him. I'm like, oh, you know, like this. And he looks at me, and he, they used, would call me Stutz in high school. And he just looks at me and goes, come on, Stutz. And then he just turned away. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew my leg didn't hurt at all. He knew I was just faking it because I was in pain, and I didn't want to push myself anymore. That's all he ever said about that. Because all he had to say was, come on, I know. I know you're not telling the truth. And I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm working really hard and following Jesus. And I'm a really good person. And Jesus looks down and says, come on. Really? You're not doing it from your heart. You don't really believe what you're doing. You're just doing it because you feel com- you have to comply with something instead of actually desire it deep inside of you. Jesus has so much more than what we give in terms of our commitment to him. Third thing, verse 5. Ask this question, am I committed to his word? John goes on the first part of verse 5, says, but whoever keeps his word, which he's talking about scripture, which means we actually desire to know and understand and live out the scriptures. That we actually have a passion and a love to open the scriptures, hear what God is saying to us, and then translate it to our life. That we don't just do it out of obligation, but we do it because we really are driven and we really are hungry for what he wants. We actually keep his word, not only obeying it, but we keep it, knowing it, because we desire, because it's the words of the one who loves us. So when I open the Bible, I don't think, oh, this is some dead story that doesn't mean anything to my life. I realize these are the very words of God written for me to understand in my context to know what it means to actually follow Jesus in my life. If I look at that way, then it isn't about a reading plan and checking a box and making sure you get so many chapters in a week. It's about sitting down and letting the scriptures saturate your soul. Remember, this is a relational context. And if this is the words that Jesus has written to me, that means he's written them in a relational way that I should learn and understand and grow. There should be this desire, not like, oh, got to do my devotions again. Got to read the Bible. Otherwise, I'm going to feel what? Guilty. Anybody ever felt guilty for not having your devotions? Everybody raise your hands. Because, oh, yeah, I blew it. Yeah, and Jesus is really upset at you, waving his finger. You should have had devotions today. No, but what if you didn't want to have devotions because you were just going to do it out of compliance? I think there's a part of him would say, just don't do it. If you're not really serious and you know, your heart's not in it, then you maybe isn't that you need to do it. It's just you need to know who I am. You need to know me more, not do more. So just think about that in the, in the context. If, if God loves me and I love him, if I really know him, I want to know what he's saying. I'm going to hang on every word that he says. Why? Because there's a relational connection. When I was in China a couple of years ago, when we were one part of the country, we were really, really, really restricted on communication. Every night I could text Kim, and I was t- texting through iMessage, through Wi-Fi, but I had to really be careful on everything that I said because everything's monitored. Everything. Every text message, every phone call, every email. 
And so I had to make sure that I couldn't say what we were doing there, that we were actually training leaders. And so we were, but then after about four or five days after the conference ended, we went to another part of, of China where the restrictions were a little uh, more lax. And so I could text her. But I remember through that whole week, every single night, night for me, morning for her, because the, the, you're flipped literally a full day or half day. And so I would, I remember I'd get in bed, it's about 10 o'clock at night and I would get my iPad and I've just, I just, I get to talk to my wife. I get to hear what's going on in her day. I get to hear an update on Courtney and Jordan, what's going on in their lives. And I remember I would sit there and just waiting. If you know, if you have iMessage, it has a little like bubble that shows that someone's typing. And I would sit there and I'm watching. I'm like, oh, she's saying something. She's saying something. Boom, and it would pop up. And then I would read it and then I would text back to her and back and forth. And I know it sounds silly, but I was excited every night because I got to talk to her. And everything that she was sending to me, I'm like, I get to read what she's saying. And I would read it and I would reply back. If this is my earthly wife, who although is a wonderful woman, is imperfect compared to God, how much more should I hang on every single word that comes from God to me through the scriptures? I I know sometimes like, oh, it's boring and it's an old story and it's really weird language and God does some strange things in the Old Testament. Yeah, but it's written for us to understand. I'm going through the the minor prophets right now. It's a little strange, some of the the stuff that happens there, but you know what? I keep coming through this conclusion. Every one of the minor prophets I keep reading, God loves rebellious people. And God will not give up on his people even when they turn their back on him. He keeps pursuing. He will bring punishment, but his punishment isn't to condemn. His punishment is to get us to turn around to come back to him. That's the God we serve. That's in the Old Testament. You know, at the beginning, not just the New Testament, the Old Testament. And it's there if you and I will have the time to just listen to what God's saying to us through the scriptures. And then the fourth thing, fourth question to ask today is, am I committed to love him? Because then John goes on, he says, In him, truly the love of God is perfected. When we are obedient, when we keep his commands, God's love comes full circle, which means that not only does God show his love to me, but through my demonstration of obedience, I am showing that I actually do love God. There's a deep connection. So it's this thing that comes full circle. And what happens when, when we realize that is we realize that I'm not doing this out of compulsion or obligation. I am doing this uh, obedience because I love God and he loves me. And so there's this completeness that happens. And because of that, God can, can ask of me and get me to do things that nobody else can get me to do. Why? Because I know of his deep love for me. And I know when he asks me, it's obviously going to be difficult and it may be a challenge, but it's always because he's doing what's best for me and what's best for the world. And I can say yes to that. I can believe in that. I can invest in that. Why? Because it's for him. It's him. He changes everything. I want to be obedient to him because of who he is. And I think sometimes we forget the God that we serve. We forget how amazing he is. We forget how gracious he is. We forget how powerful he is. We forget about what Jesus did for us on the cross. All of that put together thinking, yes, if you ask me to give my life today, I will say yes. Why? Because you have earned that place. You're amazing. When Kim and I were, were, we were getting married, it was the day of our wedding, and so, you know, guys, you know the way it works. You pretty much show up. The wedding's planned for you, right, guys? And so, it was pretty much that way, and so, when I got, we got all, you know, we got our pictures done, and, and we're like 30 minutes out from the start of the ceremony. And I had had no nerves whatsoever through the whole engagement process and through the whole wedding planning process. I wasn't nervous at all. I was excited about this. And then 30 minutes beforehand, I start to panic. It hits me. I'm actually getting married today. And I'm, I'm in a, a little side room in the church that we got married in, and I had two best men because I couldn't just have one. I needed two because I needed a lot of support. And so I had, my two best men were in the side room, and I start 
like my heart starts racing and I'm like having an anxiety attack and I'm freaking out thinking, this is it. I like, I can't get married after this. This is the only one. This is it. You know, I, I'm committed to Kim. You know, more, no more play in the field. I'm all in. This is it. This is like, in my mind, I'm like, my life's over in 30 minutes. I'm like, it's this panic kicking in, right? And so I actually turned to my, to my, to my best man. I'm like, guys, you got to help me. I'm freaking out. So we actually took a big roll of butcher paper, we unrolled it, and we crumpled up all the, the, uh, the paper, and we played baseball. We took the, you know, the, uh, the, the cardboard inside, and I was swinging as hard as I could, just for like 20 minutes, I'm like, just the anxiety, it's like, ugh. And so finally, game time, we go out, pastor leads the way, I follow behind, my best man, we step on stage, and now it's really kicking, I'm like, oh wow, church is full, I'm like freaking out, and I'm looking around, and then suddenly... Boom, the back door's open. And there's Kim and her dad standing there. And I'm no kid, not kidding you. Immediately, as soon as I saw her, all the anxiety just went away. Just disappeared. Because what hit me was like, oh, yeah. It's Kim. That's who I'm marrying. I know her. She's my best friend. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, I can do this. It's just for Kim. This is easy. I can do this. Literally, all the anxiety goes away. The funny thing is, after the wedding, Kim says, are you nervous beforehand? I'm like, oh, I was dying. She goes, I was too. She goes, and finally the doors open. I saw you. She goes, I was okay. It was fine. Because then we realized why. Because I didn't have to do this. I wanted to because I loved her. It's the same thing. Why do you think that the scriptures refer to the church as what? The bride of Christ. Because it's about a relational connection that we have with him. And then the final thing is this. Am I committed to following Jesus? How do I know that I really know God? The longer I follow Jesus, the more I start to look and act and think like him. That's how we know. Because John says it this way, talking of Jesus, whoever says he abides in him, knows him, is connected to him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, which means you and I should live as Jesus lived. We should act as Jesus acted. We should talk as Jesus talked. We should think as Jesus thought. Why? Because the more we love him, the more we know him, the more we become like him. Not the more we try to be like him on our own, but the more we become like him. Something changes in us. It's a transformation inside of us that the longer I follow Jesus and the more I'm committed to that, the more I begin to reflect the way he wants me to live, which looks more like him. Not like I got to go work harder to make this happen, but I begin to see things in my life start to change. Old habits that start to go away. A new sense of understanding and compassion that was never there before. An accountability for my sin. All these things just start to happen. Why? Because I love and I know Jesus and I'm trying to follow him in my life. So I just took a few moments this week, and this is a very short list compared, but, but if I'm to walk as Jesus walked, if I'm to live as he lived, and that is a reflection of my true knowledge of God, then I wrote down a list of things that should happen more and more and more in my life as I follow him. And maybe you can reflect this on your life as well. So if, if I truly know God, if I love and I follow Jesus, then I will sacrifice for others more. That will be part of the rhythm of my life. Why? Because Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And if I'm going to be like him, then I sacrifice. Also, I will love my enemies more. Jesus actually prayed for and cared for and loved the people who were actually crucifying him. Also, if I, if I truly know him and love him, I will learn to forgive more. He was forgiving those who ki- were killing him on the cross. I will actually defend the poor and victimize more because who did Jesus hang out with? He hung out with people who needed help. He hung out with the poor. 
I will actually tell and demonstrate who he is to others more. Why? Because if I really know who Jesus is, I won't be able to contain it. I won't be able to be quiet. I'll demonstrate it in my life. If I really know him, I'll have the power to resist temptation more. Why? Because Jesus resisted the temptation of the enemy. I will also expect to see miracles more. Why? Because Jesus performed miracles, and we should contend for miracles because that's how Jesus lived. I'll find myself in friendship with those who don't know him more. Why? Because Jesus hung out with sinners, people far from God. They were his friends. They should be our friends as well. I will consider the needs of others more because Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve others. I'll have time and patience for children more because Jesus always accepted children, even if they were screaming and crying and disrupting things. Go figure. I'll be willing to risk everything more. Why? Because Jesus gave up everything to step out of heaven to come to earth. I'll be intentional about discipling others more because Jesus was intentional with the 12 he started with. I'll experience the power of the Holy Spirit more. Why? Because Jesus lived by the power of the Spirit just as we do today. I will have compassion for people more because Jesus, on number of occasions, was moved with compassion on behalf of people. I will challenge religious hypocrisy more because Jesus spent a lot of his time dealing with the religious leaders of his day and challenging their understanding of God. I will embrace and endure suffering more because Jesus suffered almost more than any human being we know. I will surrender to the will and the purpose of the Father more because that's exactly what Jesus did when he walked the planet. Now, that is not a list to take home and say, man, I got to put that checklist on my refrigerator and I got to work at it every day. At the end of the day, I'm going to feel guilty because I only got two out of 20 or whatever it is. No. Those should be things that become a part of who we are. That one day, either somebody else or yourself realizes, oh my goodness, I never thought I had the capacity to sacrifice that much for somebody else. But Jesus changed you. I never thought I had the boldness to share my faith in a way that made it tangible for somebody else, but Jesus changed something inside of me. I never had patience for children before, but now I have supernatural patience for children. What? Jesus did that for some of us. We need that. Yeah, those who serve with children, amen. But why, why do we expect that? Why? Because if I truly know God, I will walk like Jesus walked. I will live like Jesus walked. And that's, the thing is, you know what? When we live in our culture, when we live around people, you know what they should say when they see us? They shouldn't say, you go to church. They should say, you know God. They shouldn't ask what church you go to. They should ask, what God do you know? That should be demonstrated. We don't have to go out and, and try to make it about church. Just make it about God. And they look at us, and they should see Jesus. But that is not some kind of condemning kind of weight to carry. It's like, okay, Jesus, I need to know you more. If I'm struggling in obedience, I need to know you more. I need a deeper understanding. If I'm struggling with the scriptures, I need to know you more. If I'm struggling with following you, I need to know you more. Not do more. I need to know him more. Would you close your eyes? I'm going to ask that you would make a, a point of response today as the worship team comes in and joins me again. And that is with, with your eyes closed. And the reason I have you do that is I would prefer that you're hearing the voice of Jesus and, and, and letting him speak to you than you would be focusing on anything that's going up front or what I'm saying. But the conclusion of this message today is that not that I walk away feeling guilty or feeling like I have to work harder but is to walk away feeling like there's something more that I need to know about who Jesus is in my life. There's a deeper level of love and knowledge and relationship that God is calling me to. That, that's the conclusion today. 
And so, Lord Jesus, I ask as, as we have our, our eyes closed, our heads are bowed right now. In fact, if, if, if you've done that, just I want you just to reflect as we are going to pray in a moment where it is that you know that God's pushing on you about the questions that we've asked today. And maybe you know that if you were honest with yourself, you've been living a lie. You've, you've, you've been trying to give the appearance that, yeah, yeah, I, I got the commands down. I, I'm a good person. But deep down inside, you know you're struggling. You're just living a life of compliance. You're not truly being obedient. Jesus wants to transform you today. Maybe you, you're, you're here and you know that even if you've known Jesus for years, you know that there's something that's happened over time that you've, your faith has really become really hard work. And you're trying and trying and trying to be better and better and better and you're getting frustrated because the harder you try, the more you fail. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, it's not about being better, doing better. It's about knowing me and letting me transform you from the inside out. So if you've known him for a number of years, you need to be renewed, rejuvenated, re-engaged, re-energized today to know that he's calling you once again to a deeper relationship with him, that out of that flows a commitment of obedience in your life. But maybe you're here and you don't know him. In fact, when you hear the term Christian, you're thinking, that's not me. That's other people. That's people sitting around me. That's not me. Jesus is calling you to something that you've never experienced today. He's calling you to something that isn't religious. It isn't rules and regulations. It is about being transformed by the in, from the inside out by what he can do in you because he loves you and he wants you to love him in return for all that he's done for you. The ultimate act of love is to give your life for somebody else. Jesus did that for all of us when he gave his life on the cross. He took all of your broken efforts to try to make your life work and to try to do good and be good and find fulfillment and be happy and be the things that you wanted to be in life. He took all of that and all that brokenness and took it on the cross, paying the penalty of judgment for you and clearing the deck, setting you free, making you right so that you can have relationship with God. If you've yet to experience that, I'm going to encourage you today that you would begin to do something that God has given us as human beings when we come and draw close to him. We can pray. We can open our mouth and we can speak to him and he hears our voice. And I want you to do that right now. I want you just to tell him, I am going to to surrender all of the compartments, all of the lies, all of the things that I've tried on my own, all the points of failure over to you and surrender my life to be in relationship with you, Jesus. Just begin to do that right now. In fact, I'm going to encourage you. In in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to conclude with some songs, but I want you to hear this. One of the things that is really important about your step of faith into Jesus is part of the result of your stepping into life in him is an outward sign of your inward obedience. And it's a thing called water baptism. Seems a little strange, but it's an identification with Jesus of his death and his resurrection. And it's done in a public way so that you can say to all those around you, I now belong to Jesus because I have died to the way I used to live. And now I get to live the life of relationship, not compliance, but of obedience and love and compassion and passion and relationship with God. And you make a statement, we're doing that next Sunday. And if you have yet to be baptized, it is an important step in your faith. 
And if you are interested in that, at the conclusion of this service, I would ask you, come talk to me. We will get you connected so that you can walk through that in your obedience to follow Jesus in your life. So, Lord Jesus, would you come in these moments as we worship you, as, as we, we seal what you're doing in these moments, that, Lord, you would deep, reach deep into our souls and pull us out of a life of compliance and give us the life of passion that you created us to have so that, Lord, obedience becomes the byproduct. It becomes the result, not the goal, but it becomes something that we want to do, that we desire to do, not that we have to, because we truly know you. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.